I didn't come away trusting the system all that much, to be perfectly honest with you. And I don't know. I don't know how many people in court. Everybody's presumed innocent at that point, right? So I don't know. I don't know. I came away not trusting the system at all, at all. I look at everything with a very distrustful eye, which makes me feel bad. It really does. It's not supposed to be that way. What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a freelance audio documentarian. Mm. Awesome. Like, like podcasts and stuff? Oh, please. Podcasts are verbal narcissism for ugly journalists. Listen, we need something that will play to your strengths of loving the sound of your own voice and talking forever. Podcasts. It's like radio, but it's not on the radio. Well, from the land of Phase 2 reopening, I'm Dave. And I'm Rod, under the same conditions. And from low Earth orbit, joining us from Florida, it's Bill. How you doing, fellas? We're doing good, man. How are you? Uh, I'm ecstatic that we've got humans in space from our shores yet again, and it happened in my backyard. It was amazing. That's so awesome. It It is. It really was. Now, you didn't get to actually watch it. Except on TV. I was in the studio. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was in the studio with Jim Banky. He was on phone, and I was watching it on video. So, All right. This is the point we've come to. All right, I'm 58 years old almost. And when I was a kid, we were doing, we had just finished Project Mercury. We're starting Gemini. Are you smoking on my show? I am. It's a good thing this is... Long distance. You know how I feel about smoking. Anyway, when when I was a kid, we had just finished Mercury, started Gemini, and I was reminiscing this morning about Project Gemini. The whole point of Gemini was to master rendezvous and docking. That's that was its whole purpose. And of course, it took them. It was Gemini six and seven before they actually managed to rendezvous. Now the first three were unmanned, but um, and then it was Gemini seven, eight. It was eight before they actually managed to dock. And that literally almost killed Neil, Neil Armstrong because the Agena went, went BSC and started thrusters or something, started filing, started rolling and everything else. And, and by all accounts, it was only Neil Armstrong's skill and Dave Scott's skill as pilots that they didn't die up there on that first docking. And, of course, they mastered it eventually, and we landed on the moon. And now... I've been watching the docking this morning, and I was telling Bill before the show, it's the most incredibly boring, interesting thing I think I've watched in years. <laughs> I mean, That's it's funny. It's literally two pieces of metal coming together. Yep. And I've been glued to the TV for well over three hours. <laughs> when the talk of, of privatized space began and SpaceX and Blue Origin and these other companies got started. I had a conversation with the man who's our current congressman who worked at NASA back in the Gemini and then on into a few other years. 
not Gemini, maybe Apollo. He was there in the Apollo years. And his statement to me at the time was, well, they're just doing what we've already done. And I thought, oh, no, 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 no. They may be using what looks like it's similar, but the technology is so different. These guys basically, they needed a valet to bring them drinks is what they needed because they didn't have to do a darn thing. It's all automated. It's, it's state-of-the-art, and it's amazing. And it's, it, it's been a, a, a great adventure to watch from here on the Space Coast to see the developments and the fact that they're landing that first stage more often than not. They've had the occasional accident, but they land that first stage either on land or out on a postage stamp in the middle of the ocean, which is amazing, and are able to reuse that stuff and save those kind of dollars. The, the privatization of space has advanced what we're going to be able to do, and that's exciting. Was it Jim that was talking yesterday about, sorry, I just hit my microphone. Was it Jim talking yesterday about they don't care if they miss because they have so many of these Falcon 9 rockets sitting around. He said there's storage up in Titusville that it's just full of these things. They got more than they need. But wow. that's also a big positive here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was telling Bill on Wednesday when they aborted the launch, I was bemused by the fact that back in, in my day when astronauts were sitting in there and they occasionally had cameras in there on the launch pad, and you'd see astronauts in there flipping switches and checklists and doing things and the commander always had his handle on the abort his hand on the abort handle and um uh from the earth to the moon did a great job of portraying this but these guys were sitting there and the guy was literally just running his hands across the panel because he had nothing he was you know you could tell he yeah. was nervous but he didn't have anything to do yeah spamming a can well and the other side of that is the capability now fueling is one of the most dangerous parts of getting a rocket in the air and they've got the capability to eject that capsule out into the ocean from the launch pad. So those guys, should an explosion occur below them, premature to the one that sends them into space, they can eject and be safely found out in the Atlantic not far from here. And the safety aspects have advanced amazingly. And it's always a risk, but it's amazing to see that. Well, and the live video, the live video from multiple angles everywhere. Is just really awesome. That's what I was like. I was telling my kids yesterday that, hey, we didn't have this when I was younger. I mean, <laughs> we had the we one had film. Wait. We had the one film of the Apollo. I think it was Apollo Four. That that yeah. they just keep rerunning over and over again, where the first stage disconnects and floats away. But that's all we had. And I'm watching this now. Are, are you guys watching this live at all? I, I am. No. This uh, this giant TV production. <laughs> For this opening of the hatch, I mean, they got like seven cameras and 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 this giant hatch. I mean, it it, it looks like they are set up to do a a TV show filming before a live audience. Spielberg's yeah. directing this, though. It's no wonder. Ooh, it looks like Spielberg's work. I don't know, Bill. I'm, I, I, you know, we I, Rod and I are the we we kind of grew up with this. You're a little bit older than we are, not too much, but this is something. I mean, it's remarkable. My grandmother was born in 1900 and died in 1982. So she went from, you know, the golden age of empire in the United States to the space shuttle. Okay. And, and we're kind of similar. I mean, we've gone from the 60s, late 50s, early 60s to, to this now where space travel is literally, I, I think it's dangerous, but it's literally becoming easy. I mean, I know it yeah. never is, but it, it seems like it's becoming that way. Well, and as you look at it, with all the testing they do prior to doing anything that would be significant as far as the space program goes, 
that's why they do it. Thank God the failures are on the ground. And that's why they were able to have the safe, successful launch they had yesterday. It's why there are not too long-term plans for human spaceflight for tourists. Not that you and I can afford it, but some people are. <laughs> Could you go, Rod? All right, quick poll. Would I'd you go. go? Would you? I'd go, yeah. See, I was telling Bill before the show, I don't know if I would or not. I mean, with my body and the condition that it's in right now, number one, I don't think I could get in there. But but number two, <laughs> I, I would go with your body, Dave. Would you? <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm, uh, you know, I tell, I tell Ben all this time. I tell Ben this all the time. When I was your age, Ben, this is what I wanted to do. I mean, this was the promise of the space shuttle, wasn't it? Yeah. We're all going to be able to go. And that never came to pass. But unless you were a you senator. You me away from that was Land of the Giants. <laughs> all right. For the younger members of the audience, you're going to have to explain that. <laughs> it was a, it was an Irwin Allen television show in the, what, early to mid-70s? Early yep. 70s, yep. maybe late 70s. And they got on a shuttle, and they went up, and they were going to London or something. And when they landed, they were actually still on Earth, but they had shrunk, and it was really cool. Yeah, kind of like Gulliver's Travels updated for the space. Yeah. It was it was kind of cool. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, I wanted to do it. I'd still, in, my, in the back of my brain, I think it would be fun, but... I just, man, I just don't know. What I, but physically, I mean, I have a hard time getting out of bed anymore, Rod. So I'm not even sure I can get into a spacesuit. <laughs> and then they they ride in that Tesla now out to the pad, yeah. and they ride in the back seat. Which I have to say this, um, that is probably one of my top ten. I don't do so. I do not ride in back seats of cars. Period. No, either See, mine, I. I don't ride in Teslas. So there you go. Yeah. Now, if they bring back the old <laughs> van, maybe I would do it, but. <laughs> just uh guess they're not going to do that it's fascinating stuff it's interesting it's fun to watch i'm blown away by it but at the same time i guess we got to come back to earth don't we yeah exciting for what it means for the future and we don't have a, even a tentative date for the next manned launch from here but now that we know that it's doable look for that schedule to start ramping up you still got the uh nasa program getting ready to go with a different type of crew capsule right so it, it opens up the possibilities yeah. and my son's a policeman in titusville uh, well he, he's with the sheriff's department and he lives in titusville and that community is going to do nothing but grow as this program continues to expand they've got massive area up there for business and space businesses are locating there it's it's amazing growth for brevard county it's coming well, That's and, of course, and of course, you cover this, Bill. I mean, your your station, you you live, work right right there. So I've been there. Yeah. I was there in two thousand and five. It was one of the most, um, I guess, uh, here before we met. Yeah, it was. It was just before we met. I went down there in February two thousand and five because it was it was the it was the trip of a lifetime, you know, kind of thing. I had an opportunity to go to Florida. I was going to go visit a friend, Bill, much like you're going to West Virginia to visit a friend. And it Amen. didn't work out. And so I was left with literally a week in Florida to do whatever I wanted to. So so wow. I went to the Space Center. And it was, uh, you know, for a guy that grew up on the space program like I did, it was a it was an amazing couple of days. It really was. And, and that was back when, uh, oh, God, Mojave. What was the space? Uh, Virgin Galactic was doing their, their thing. And... 
I got to talk to one of the astronauts, one of the shuttle astronauts about that. I asked him, you know, what do you guys think of this? Because thinking there might be a little professional jealousy there. But there really well, wasn't. There, there really wasn't. They were really in favor of private commercialization of spaceflight. And it's interesting how even though there's competition there, these folks actually root for each other because they're all making breakthroughs in how space is going to be done. It, and it's, it's phenomenal to watch from so close. And especially with a guy like Jim Banky, who is on with me when we do coverage on our station, that uh, has been covering space for 40 years and just knows it backwards and forwards. It's amazing. And that, of course, is uh, what Bill does. Now, Bill was the guy I replaced in Modesto on KFIV, which is probably where Rod came into all this thing. And then he moved back to Florida because I don't know why. And it's I'm glad he did. But <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad you moved back. But <laughs> Short story. My youngest turned 16 the summer after he'd been there a year. I said, you've been here a year, pal. What do you think? He said, I'm a beach kid, Dad. I want to go home. My time in Modesto was limited after that. <laughs> it was time to get him home. Yeah. Did I ever tell you the story, Rod, of how I got the job replacing him? No, I don't so, think you did. So he went you on vacation. Yeah. He went on vacation for a week, like in late August, as I recall, of 2007. No, six. Mm-hmm. No, seven. So he goes on vacation for a week. He asked me to fill in. So I took a week's vacation from my real job at the time. And I had a ball doing this, um, ripping into Jeff Denham. Yeah. Ripping, ripping into Jeff Denham over the state budget and stuff like that. Because he was making a big stand about how he was going to stand on his principles and blah, blah. And I was like, stop the game. You're going to vote for it as soon as you get what you want. Anyway, he comes back and I think it was Labor Day was the Monday. So it was a Tuesday. He comes back and I was in doing the news and stuff. And I usually stuck around for like the first half hour of the show. And then I had to leave because I had to go to my real job. And so he looks at me and says, Hey, can you stick around for a while? <laughs> well, I'm the boss at the other job. So sure I can. So I call my secretary, tell him I'm going to be late and blah, blah, blah. And in the middle of the eight o'clock hour, that guy up there <laughs> says, so this is my last week and Dave's taken over. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> but I did, and it worked out all right. And you did a phenomenal job. And uh, I'm glad we met. I'm glad we met the way we did. I'm glad we had all that opportunity to work together. And uh, I miss you in radio, dude, but you're doing good, good job with the podcast. I miss being on the air. I don't miss being working for a radio company, I'll be honest <laughs> about you. And, and we could spend a lot of time Somehow on that. I understand that completely. <laughs> I don't want to get into all that today because we got to come back to Earth even as they are opening the hatch uh, to go through. So we got to come back to Earth. The reason, the real reason I invited Bill to be on today, Rod, is because he's a former police officer. Okay. And you and I have similar views about things that are going on in the world right now. And I kind of wanted to temper that with maybe another viewpoint about things that are going on. You and I, for those of you who don't know this or don't listen to the show regularly, what do we send about 12 texts a day to each other Probably. with various articles, <laughs> you know, what, let's talk half about of them are articles. <laughs> yeah. Half of them are articles about, we're going to do this. We're going to talk about that. And of course the last few days have been just filled with what's going on. So let's bring this back down to earth, even as they arrive at the international space station and ask the question, okay, what's going on and why? Rob, let's start with you. What's going on and why? It's there was a tragic situation um, caught on video, of course, um, where seemingly 
I mean, there was some justification for it, I guess, not on the video that we could see, but where someone was detained for uh, about eight minutes, I think is what they said, uh, in uh, uncomfortable manner, I think is what it would what it would appear to be. I mean, it's, no one would want to be in that situation. So that invokes an emotional response in communities that are already tense with um, being... What's the word I want to use? Race, this this aggression tension. between between the police and the black community. And so they're already sensitive to that. And so seeing this, and it's a white officer um, and a black man on the ground, I, I think it just invoked this emotional response to where um, we're, we're kind of at today. So you've got, you've got people that are protesting legitimately, and that then you've got other people that are taking advantage of the situation. Um, that want to just cause mayhem and, you know, want to steal and things like that. Bill, what are you, is it as simple as that? Is it just racial tension? Is it just bleep the cops? Is that really what it is? No, it it involves the political climate in the country. It involves, um, yes, all that angst that's built up. I think in, in some regards, the way the country responded to the coronavirus adds even more tension to the mix. And when people get out and have an opportunity to release, so many of them don't know how. Uh, I've got a friend who used to work at our sales department. She lives in Jacksonville. She's a black gal, wonderful lady who does great work. And she was at a protest in Jacksonville yesterday. I saw her this morning on Facebook complaining that all the news coverage was about the riots that happened after the peaceful protest. And my first thought was, well, what do you expect would happen and how would you expect them to cover it? And it's, yes, the agitators, the criminals that come out and take advantage of what was, like you said, Rod, a legitimate protest. But it turns into mayhem and creating more victims and more destruction. I've thought about it from the police angle in Minneapolis where, you know, I was a cop for 17 years of my life. And I do not imagine a situation where my fellow officers and I would have backed down and seated ground of a police station. On the other hand, there becomes a point when you are a government employee that you realize this is a government building. They don't give two hoots about me. They're going to rebuild it. I don't need to die on this line. And I believe it's legitimate for them to have withdrawn. And I hate to say that. And, of course, what's the first thing to go when they get in the building is the evidence room because there's all kinds of drugs, there's all kinds of evidence on cronies, and there will be trials that, unless everything has been properly documented and backed up, that they'll never get a conviction on that. So there are multiple motives for what went on here, I think. So let's take the next step in all of this then and go, all right, you've you've got intense racial tension for whatever reason. And, you know, it's kind of hard for three hasty white guys to really seriously discuss... Well, that's true. Bill's got a Florida tan, so um, it, it's hard for three white guys to maybe, you know, we talked last week or two weeks ago, right, Rod, about frame of reference and, and experience yeah. with things. And maybe it's hard for us sometimes to see things from another person's point of view. And it, I, I think that's been the hardest lesson for me to learn in life is that other people see things differently and that doesn't make them wrong. It makes them different. Yes. It means that I don't see them the same way. And maybe I should step back and say, okay, why don't I see it the same way? That kind of came apart 
in my life with with my conversion conversion to Judaism. And Bill, I think you and I had a discussion about this one day while I was driving the truck. Um, you know, because I constantly get, why don't Jews vote Republican? Why don't Jews vote Republican? And the answer is very simple because Republican values, as expressed by many in the Republican, while while we agree maybe politically on 80%, there are critical values where they don't match necessarily. And we don't see things the same way. And I imagine in the black community, it's the same thing. When you've spent your life in a, in a position where the 14th Amendment protects the gains that you've made, and you see a bunch of people talking about states' rats, what do they actually hear when you when you say that, states' rats? They don't hear 10th Amendment. They hear other things that that perhaps aren't there. And that's, that's been very, very hard for me to learn. So, but, you, but you have this tension. The question that I have is, what is the root of that tension? Is it really racial or is it legal? In other words, have the police... Econ- Go ahead, Bill. And economic. And economic. We've, mm-hmm. For so long now, and, and I've... I've been harping on this for years. You can go online and find the cases that the circuit courts hear, hear every week. And a good half of those cases are what, what are known as qualified immunity cases, where police officers have done something that, personally, and I say this with love, Bill, somebody with the, somebody with the IQ of a cantaloupe would have known was violating somebody's constitutional rights, but they do it anyway. And then scream qualified immunity. Well, I was, I was doing the job. There's too many of those cases to be coincidence. There's too many of those cases to say, well, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. What's the, what's the argument about Muslim radicals? Well, it's only 1%, right? And the conservative comeback to that is, yeah, but that means there's a lot of them, even at 1%, and they're dangerous. Well, even if it's only 1% of cops that are doing this, that's still a lot of cops doing this. And the question becomes, why? What is it about these particular police officers that says to them, well, really, how hard is it to figure out that you can't do a search and seizure without a warrant? Where's the mindset that comes in there? That's my question. Well, and it goes a little deeper in my mind, too, and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. But, Dave, you've heard me on my show. I am appalled at the police officers who are willing to enforce what appear to be rather draconian measures that seem to violate the rights of people in response to this coronavirus to the point where we're letting people out of jail because we're afraid they're going to get sick and we're threatening to or actually jailing people who open their business trying to make a living and pay their bills. And the I, it was drummed into me hard at the West Virginia State Police Academy that the most severe thing I could do as a policeman was violate somebody's rights and that the FBI would be up my hiney and that I would be facing federal prison and loss of everything I'd ever worked for civilly if I violated somebody's rights. And I took it to heart. And my job was to protect those rights for everybody, whoever it was. And yes, there are exemptions to the uh, search warrant requirement of the Fourth Amendment. Exigent circumstances and the like as have been developed right. through the court. And I knew and understood those as a drug cop. And you didn't cross that line because you didn't want to lose the case and you didn't want to have that stigma and potential criminal penalty coming at you. I don't understand the mindset of cops. I'm just following orders. 
how many evils has that led to? Right, but isn't there a training process? I mean, I almost get the impression, and I and I please excuse the sarcasm of this question, but again, you would literally have to have the IQ of gravel not to know that some of these things are violations. I mean, but and and yet. It's like it's almost like it's almost like they've never even heard of the Bill of Rights, let alone the Fourth, Fifth Amendments. Do, don't I they get trained on this? An environment where I'm following the orders of someone who's been on the job longer, who has more training than I have, and has been put in a position of authority, they would not lead me wrong. And I think some of it is the political influence on the upper echelons of law enforcement that have that been pushed into going contrary to what they know to be true and right, whether that's self-preservation or something else. Rod, you and I look at this, and, you know, we, again, we share a lot of the life experience and stuff like that, and and we kind of look at this the same way. And I just, I'm wondering if maybe, am am I not being fair to the police? And when I say the police, I, I really have to caveat that because I don't mean Bill, I don't mean my brother, I don't mean... Yeah, Steve Stanfield. I mean, I mean the concept of how we doing policing in this country. Am I not being fair to it? Am I just not assuming that they're not being trained? I mean, you would operate under that assumption, wouldn't you? I I would say that they are being trained. I mean, especially in this climate. I mean, when you see the number of cases that generate the responses that have been over the last several years to you know, either perceived or actual police brutality, there's got to be training that's addressing that. You would think. Bill, you you went through some of that training, I hope? Yeah, we learned enough self-defense training in the academy to learn how to be hurt and not to do the hurting. Again, the emphasis was so much on not causing injury and pain that we were placed in jeopardy by the training that we had. I was a... 12, 13-year policeman before I had a class that taught me how to hurt a bad guy legally that needed to be hurt. And, and that was an asked baton class that taught you, you can't strike here, you can't strike there, you've got to strike limbs, never in the torso, never head or neck. But they did teach you that baton will do some damage if you have to have it do something. Right, but what and they- that's the first time I ever had any training like that. The rest of it was, here's a little bit of judo, here's a little bit of karate, and because you don't practice it, you're not going to master it. And when you try it, you're going to be hurt. There you go. Right. But what about what what about the the oath of office? What about the Constitution? What what training is there or was there when you were there regarding constitutional rights, free speech, search and seizure? What what discussion of that was, was there? It was intensive. It was. I can't tell you how many hours. It's been too long. But even in classes subsequent to that, um, I went and took a class in South Florida when I was still a cop in West Virginia on the body wire and other equipment that we we use and other cover operations. And part of that class was the Fourth Amendment, its constraints, and they actually gave 10 bonus points at the end of the class when you took the test if you could verbatim put the Fourth Amendment down. Instead, I chose to write, it's not important for me to know the verbatim language of the Fourth Amendment. It's important for me to know the reasonable suspicion that leads to probable cause that allows me to circumvent that requirement when necessary in order to secure evidence. I got the 10 bonus points. Hmm. 
but the training was extensive through my career. And I have a listener who is now an instructor at the Brevard Law Enforcement Academy who says, Bill, we emphasize this in every class. We teach it in every class and we give them an understanding. But there is something that disconnects in the upper echelon of these departments where the police chiefs are appointed by elected officials who don't have the same training and they have expectations and police chiefs want to keep their jobs. So they, I don't know if they check their understanding and say, okay, well, we can do it this one time or not. Uh, sheriffs are elected. They have a political base to play to. And look, I love our sheriff. I think he's a great guy. And I don't see his department doing those things as we see at other places across the country. I'm a little biased. My son's a member of that department. But um, the training is there. Why it's not being followed or why it's being ignored is the item of speculation here. So is this training just a one-time event, or is it continually where they reinforce that over a period of time? Depends on the classes you take in continuing education. When it is relevant to whatever class is being held, whether it's crime scene investigation, whether it's interview and interrogation, yes, the rights are a part of it because you don't want your statement, your evidence, whatever it may be, to be thrown out in court because of some technicality where you screwed up because you didn't do the job right. The whole emphasis for me and the people I worked with was do the job well and do it according to the rules. The rules have been put in place through the courts because cops have messed up through the years. So let's avoid those mistakes. That's what it was about. So have we reached the point, though, where, you know, as a as a manager in, in the public sector and, and even in the private sector that in California state law, we're required to to go under sexual harassment training every two years for two hours? Have we reached the point where we now need to mandate that type of training, not the sexual harassment part, but, you know, I mean, that, although they could do that, that's not bad, but uh, the, the constitutional awareness training you know, on a yearly basis with law it's enforcement. continually influenced. Uh, again, I don't think you take a training class on marksmanship or a new weapon or, or a new vehicle and you interject that stuff. But in the appropriate classes, I, I think it should be done because it's paramount. Part of the issue here is, and I, I briefly mentioned it a few minutes ago, but qualified immunity. Qualified immunity is a concept that Developed in the 1970s, the idea being that if a if a, an officer and and we'll stick to law enforcement here, it actually applies to all government officials, but we'll stick to law enforcement here, is doing the job in a in a reasonable manner and reasonably believes that they are doing the right thing, then they can't be sued or held otherwise accountable for something that they didn't know was was incorrect. So you you. This concept that developed over time is is part of what's led to this this whole issue. The and we've got a case in Houston right now where um, some police officers and and the case we don't know all the details yet, but the officers may have lied about their um, their search warrant, their no knock warrant. People ended up dead, and now. The police department, led by the police chief there, is actually hiding behind this concept of qualified immunity. We didn't do nothing wrong, even though it's pretty clear that the warrant wasn't on the up and up. People are now dead, and police officers are hiding behind this kind of thing. 
And I think that that has led to, and this is not by, by any means the only case of this, Rod. This, there are numerous uh, examples of this. So has that led to some of this, do you think? Is, it, is that part of the problem? Is this concept of qualified immunity? Should it even be a thing? I would think that it contributes to that environment. I mean, if, if you knew you had a get-out-of-jail-free card uh, when you play Monopoly, would you use it? If you were in jail or, you know, I mean, <laughs> I always sold it to everybody else, but that oversimplified it. But at the same time, it's, it's, if you, if you have a reasonable expectation that, you know, it's a part of doing your job, you can fall under this qualified immunity. I don't know. I would probably in my shoes, I would probably say I might be inclined to use it. Well, of course you would be. And, and this has been the problem is that police, for what was for something that was intended as a good idea, I mean, I, I'm I'm not going to hide from the fact that there are people who accuse other people, particularly police, of doing wrongdoing without any justification. That's I was happy to see the body cams come along because that's part of the solution to that. But you know, I worked in nonprofit worlds for 30 years, and we ran into a thing where sexual harassment complaints became a big deal. I mean, it, they really did, and and. I, I'm I'm spitballing here, but the ones that I ended up investigating, I'd guesstimate probably 40 to 45% of them were false. They were fake. They just made up. But how do you prove yeah. that? Well, qualified immunity can kind of come into that place, but it, it, it sort of, I don't know, it's sort of, it, it's been overused to the point now where uh, we had a case in Modesto that I talked about on numerous occasions where a police officer violated the fourth amendment, he broke down a door, broke a woman's arm for no reason. And they settled out of court for, for less than $250,000. I think, as I recall, it was around $113,000. And I said on the air at the time, if that was me, there's no way I would settle. I don't care if I get a dime. That police officer is going to sit on the stand and explain why he didn't understand the fourth amendment. And I think yeah. if more of that would happen, rather than simply settlements with these non-disclosure agreements, maybe some of this, uh, maybe some of this doesn't happen. I don't know if we still have Bill or not. Bill, you still there? I'm here. Yeah. Okay. What, what do I'm you think? What do you think of that? I believe the place for qualified immunity is for an officer who makes a legitimate mistake and believed he was acting in good faith. The thing you described in Houston, the, the thing you're talking about in Modesto. Um, I don't believe that willful negligence is an excuse for anything. I believe the obligation of the cop is to do the job to the best of his ability according to his training. And if they dig back into the training of these officers, they're going to see that they were trained not to do these things. And to me, that's evidence of, if not bad intent, bad judgment. And yes, immunity for a guy who makes a legitimate mistake, but not for circumstances like you're talking about. I didn't have any idea of the concept of qualified immunity while I was a policeman. I was told my butt was on the line because it was up to me to make the right call every time. Right. And we had a similar situation in the military. Right. You'd be be perfect on day one and get better every day after that. We had a similar situation. I mean, you follow procedures. And we were always told if you don't follow the procedure, you're in trouble. But as it turns out, there are exemptions to that. But those come with time, experience, and situational awareness. The bigger problem to me with Minneapolis is 
even if we just take the one police officer, the guy that's now been charged with third-degree murder, which is an interesting charge in Minnesota, third-degree murder in Minnesota, unlike some other states, literally means he should have known that what he was doing would endanger a life, and he did it anyway. So it's not that he did it with any malice or forethought. He didn't do it with any motive. He just, he was careless, and it's an interesting charge. I, I, I know most people would have, I know most of the protesters would want First Amendment, but if we just go with that guy, he has been investigated, what is it, 19 times? For, yes, I think I'll call 17, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more than 10. It, I mean, I guess it's more than one, and less, yes. so... And what we're going to find here, what we're already finding is that most of these have been covered by NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, and qualified immunity claims, where you have to question whether or not he learned any kind of lesson at all other than, I have a way out. It would seem so. And ultimately, a man died because of that. So is this on the community of Minneapolis for not disciplining this pro- this guy properly, for not teaching this guy this lesson, for allowing him to learn that? I mean, if I let Ben whine his way into getting everything he wants, am I a good parent? Of course not. If we allow let this... Let me point you down the other rabbit hole of this. Okay. Police unions. Yeah. And, and that that's a factor here, too. And the levels of protection, even for bad cops, just like in other union environments, even for lazy employees or those who don't do the job, they fight to the nth degree to keep them and keep them employed. Um, there's got to be reasonable discipline for, and, and reasonable training for those who fail in that aspect. You catch it early on and you teach them, they become better policemen. Not every mistake a cop makes should be fatal to a career. I, I have a friend, dear friend, who I try to see every time I'm in West Virginia who had a DUI early in his career as a cop where he rear-ended another city's police car at night. He was going through a divorce. He was drinking too much. He was out one night, and he had a five-mile-an-hour collision, rear-ended another police car. He ate a 30-day rip with no pay. He came back, and he became the best polygraph operator I've ever known of and a hell of an investigator, but he had to get through that rough time. You can rehabilitate if you do it correctly, and I believe my department did at that time. Oh, Lord, don't get me started on polygraphs. <laughs> it's a tool to let a liar know you know he's a liar. That's all it is. Yeah, there's a rabbit hole I don't want to get out. So what do we do it's to fix like this? It's drunk, but, but it can be, and I understand your concern. Right, so what do we do to fix this, Rob? What do you, what, if you were king of the United States for the day, what do you do to fix this? Uh, there's so many variables that are at play with this whole situation it's not i mean it's it's training i guess i guess you increase training um you know in the security world computer security you know we do we we do lessons learned from any event and so i think that's one of the things that we just really need a a good review process which i'm sure the the police have to analyze but i think that needs to be public I think that needs to be a public process that everyone can see, okay, this is what we went through. These are the lessons we learned and uh, maybe get some input from the community to help, to help those that feel that they've been trampled on to have some say in the matter. Bill, what do you think? How do you solve this? If you're King for the day, I want to, I am for three hours every morning. Um, (laughs) 
Rod, I like what you're saying. My concern of the public aspect of that process, I believe in a public release of information when it's done. But as the evidence is laid out, you're going to have every uh, armchair quarterback decide sure. that this what what was said here is other than how it was interpreted. And you may even fire up more riots and protests through the process because their interpretation of the evidence, they don't want justice. They want rep- retribution. And half of them that are out there don't want justice and don't give two hoots about the slain victim. They want a free TV from the smashed window. Right. That's, I mean, yeah. why is Seattle rioting about what's happening in Minneapolis? Bingo. That, why is Atlanta yeah. rioting about what happened in, in Minneapolis? I mean, I get protests. I don't get the rioting. That That's the part I don't get. So here's my solution. You ready? Go. Number, I'm going to do it in reverse order. Number four would be transparency, better transparency. I think government agencies across the board and police officers, police departments in specific, do a terrible job of communicating. I, I, I don't mean that they're hiding things. I don't mean that... The, I mean that the way they do things comes across as we're not trying to be we're 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 trying to withhold you know we're we're not being completely on the on the table with you, and I just They're playing defense for the criminal trial. They're, okay, they don't want the- that may be, but there needs to be better communication. It's it's horrible. Number three, there there needs to be more discussions across the board about things, whether that's community discussions, whether that's internal police officers discussions. I I, I don't I don't know this because I was only a military police officer for a year and we didn't you know we didn't really do police things per se. Uh, we were trained in anti riot response and defending with deadly force uh, nuclear weapons. Sorry, nuclear weapons. Um but uh, are there discussions, Bill? Do you guys stand around the water cooler and talk about, hey, we had a case yesterday where the Fourth Amendment came into play, and this is what I did. Do, do police officers have water cooler discussions about specific things within the Bill of Rights? I, I can't imagine that they do, but it's possible. Yes, yes. Now, especially in the investigative branches, when I was a drug cop, we were constantly in the U.S. Attorney's Office prepping cases either for trial or some other disposition, whether we got the guy to plead and turned him into an informant or whatever. Um, but also around the emergency action folks, our emergency response team, our SWAT team. We talked about entries, lawful and otherwise, and, and what what the boundaries were. And we did review cases in briefings very often if something came down. Right. And but that's it, a it, but that's a briefing. Ahead. That's an official meeting. I'm talking about you guys are just standing in the hallway, as we used to say, shooting the shit. Does this kind of stuff come up there? It does. It okay. does. All right. Well, and, I'd like and, to see more of that. Daily thing, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But among the cops who had the concerns about what and how we did things and wanted to be right, we did discuss them, and, and very frequently. Okay. Well, I'd like to see more of that. Number two, ready? <laughs> little self-promotion uh, here. I'd like to see more police officers listening to Constitution Thursday. I don't disagree with that. <laughs> That's some self-promotion there. You can check yeah. out Constitution <laughs> Thursday at plausiblylive.com. But the number one thing I would do, and this is something I have felt for a long time, I think it's, uh, I think it's disingenuous. I think it's destructive. I think it's damaging to the public trust. 
There should be absolutely, across the board, no such thing as a public sector union. I don't care if you're talking about the SEIU or the police officers, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. There should not be people negotiating, a government entity negotiating with a government entity about what we're going to, how we're going to treat a government entity. That's, there's no... About how we're going to deal with everybody else's tax dollars who have no say in negotiations. Yeah. Exactly. And that's... That's my solution to it. What do you think is going to happen next? What, where, where does this go now? I was talking to my friend in West Virginia this morning, Dave, and we were talking about where this is going to go. There are some states, uh, Minnesota has called out their National Guard to try to quell these disturbances. I'm sure that's happening in other jurisdictions as well. And my prediction is somebody is going to get shot, and the people on the protest side of this are going to tie it to Kent State or try to, and it is not that circumstance at all. But I believe that's the argument that'll come. Rod, what do you think? I'm still trying to figure out the Trump angle because I know that's where the media is going to try and take it because the election's coming. (laughs) All his fault. (laughs) I've asked this question now since the midsection, I guess, of March. Rod, I don't know where we started talking about this, but... Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution allows states to declare states of emergency in circumstances where, well, when when delay shall not be admitted, where states of emergency, and that gives government. And I asked the question a while ago, what's the next state of emergency? And when does the state of, okay, so corona is winding down. We're now in phase two, which literally means nothing. I mean, it's, it's like, okay, you can open now. But we're still watching you. Um, yeah. But now here comes now here comes the next state of emergency. Well, we've got Seattle is is activating that Inslee activated the National Guard last night to go to Seattle. Where does the state of emergency end? And as long as you're in a state of emergency, what do you still have? You still have one guy yep. or gal with essentially unlimited executive powers because I hear in Washington and I know in California, I don't know about Florida, Bill, because I haven't read your laws down there, but. The only way the Washington state of emergency ends is when Jay Inslee decides that it ends. And until then, he can literally do nothing. And as we saw in the Supreme Court yesterday, the Supreme Court's not all that excited about reining these people in. In Florida, Dave, the governor's initial order was for 30 days. I think he might have extended it for 15, but unless he extends it. So it's, it's essentially the same, but it has a sunset if he takes no further action. Uh, and, and I like that system because it's going to end unless he can justify why it needs to continue. And fortunately, Ron DeSantis has been on the loosening up into this. I mean, we just got approval yesterday for uh, Disney and Universal to go back to operations under the plan they submitted. And I haven't looked at that plan because I don't really care. I don't, I don't like going to Orlando anyway, so unless I've got a special event, I ain't going. <laughs> Rod, what about there in California? Well, I mean, they're, it seems like they're super accelerating the um, the reopening of everything because their you know, hair, hair salons are now open. So everything is good. You know what I'm waiting for, right? What? I'm waiting for you to say the name. Oh, you're waiting for me to say the name of our illustrious El Presidente of California? Said Gavin Gavin Newsom before cackling and exploding into bats. 
I got the iPad back this week, so I've been waiting all day to do that. I didn't know. I didn't I know. I was trying to show you. I was sitting here waving at you on the cameras. I was like, come on, say Gavin Newsom. Said Gavin Newsom before cackling and exploding into bats. Well, I'm like Florida, Bill. I'm like, what's that? Was that Chimpo? That was, in fact, Chimpo. Ah, very cool. I had, had him do that for me because that's his line. I mean, we were on the air one day when he did that, and it's kind of it's right up there with "Don't waste cheese." So, um, <laughs> here in here in Washington, we're stuck. I mean, until Inslee decides that uh, he's not bitter over his failed presidential candidacy, where he got zero percent of the the polling, um, you know, it's it, we're stuck. And and this is this is part of the problem. And this is what I think. If I had to tell people what what is the lesson of the coronavirus 2020 it's limit your gubernatorial power because under the constitution as it's interpreted right now and as the supreme court said this week state of emergency the governors have the power that's what it says in the constitution i know a lot of you don't like that but that's what it says um but that's up to us, the state of people, the people of the state of Washington, state of California, where Governor Newsom said Gavin Newsom before cackling and exploding into bats runs things for DeSantis down there. It's up to us to limit that power. And maybe that's where we need to be headed with this. And I, I think the same is true of these riots and, and these these issues with the police departments and these. You know, it's. If I think if we had done things right the first time, that's what my company commander used to say. That's the first thing I learned in the Navy. If you don't have time to do it right the first time, when will you have time to do it over again? If we had handled this police officer correctly the first time, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. And that's kind of where that's at. Bill, we're going to have a baseball season this year. In Korea. (laughs) Who's your team? Uh, I, I haven't watched enough to have one yet, but I'm, I'm kind of siding with you on the who's and why. Yeah, I'm a uh, the who's and why's. I get it. And the Kims. Um, I, I've been a Hanwha Eagle. I've been following the Hanwha Eagles for years. Um, there's a reason why, but I'm not going to go into it here because my wife might be listening. But um, <clears throat> they have something in Korea that we don't have here. They have cheer squads. Rod, have you seen these? I have not. Okay, you need to you need to Google Korean baseball cheer squads. Okay. Okay. And I would recommend going to the Hanwha Eagles site and and checking that out, as Bill and I have already discussed. But but uh, there's a reason why I watch. uh, Plus, it's it's actually pretty good baseball. I would put it. It's not quite. It's definitely not major league baseball. I'm not even sure it's AAA. I'd kind of put it between AAA and and Double A. That kind of where 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 you'd see it, Bill. But it's competitive. It's very competitive, and that's what I like about it. Um. Although I've kind of been watching, because they're showing a lot of them on ESPN, the, the NC Dinos, for some reason, they're showing a lot of them. So I've kind of watched them a lot. And they have this thing now where they have the cardboard cutouts in the stands. Yeah, that's and you funny. And you can actually pay the team to put your face on a cardboard cutout at a Korean baseball game. What a revenue generator. I like it. I'm, I'm seriously awesome. contemplating sending one for us, for the show, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm seriously that, thinking that about doing That would be awesome. It. I just don't know how much it would cost or what the exchange rate is. I don't even know what they use for money in Korea. Anybody Fish know? Heads. <laughs> so, Fish heads. <laughs> so I've got a computer game that I love called Out of the Park Baseball. And I just decided I'm going to – it's pissing me off because I, I, the minor league system, it's not official yet, Bill, but I saw a thing the other day where – the discussion is basically there isn't going to be a minor league season this year, which just kills me. I mean, hey, 
one of the minor leagues I umpired in won't exist when they get back to baseball. Yeah. Well, part that of this stadium they built in West Virginia, no use. Yeah. Well, part of this is the ma- major league baseball wants to kill the minor leagues anyway. They don't like the minor leagues the way they are, and so they've been trying to kill it, contract it, all this stuff. And this is there. I I almost feel like the Red Baron Manfred is taking advantage of this to reshape the minor leagues the way he wants them. And that is not the way they are right now. And it just kills me. Anyway, I got this computer game. So I set up a a Cal League season for 2020. I've been watching. And I've been playing the Stockton Ports, man. It's awesome, Rod. (laughs) It's so great. (laughs) You have Zach Rudy doing the commentary. I'm trying to get him to do it, yeah. I got a way to record commentary on the ballgames. I should should do that. Of course, he's with Reno now. Did Did you know that? He's with Reno. You told me, yeah, yeah, that's phenomenal. He got promoted they, to AAA. So. It's it's pretty exciting. Rod, it's your uh, you're on. We uh, Rod came to us from the Ale Evangelist show, and so we, on our first episode of this, we we imbibed, if you recall. <laughs> I drank it half was... a, I drank half a bottle of whiskey, Bill, and <laughs> and it kept saying it was really really good. It was. It's very <laughs> smooth. I mean. <laughs> It's really good. So we decided That's a little that, bit shy of his normal show prep when we were doing morning. Just yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh God, you, you still you weren't you weren't there for the famous Davis still drunk show, were you? No, I wasn't hung over. I was still drunk when I did one. And we had a we had a guest about dealing with holiday stress. Okay, so this gal comes from University of Phoenix, and she's going to tell you about how to deal with holiday stress. And Dave is still drunk when we go on the air with this gal. Lovely. <laughs> and I'm embarrassed about it now, but she kept talking about, oh, you have to, you know, internalize things. And and, and I just like, I just drink. <laughs> <laughs> and she had no idea how to handle it. It was pretty funny. I don't know what so, stress it, is. Well, well, you know, the best part of that is, Bill, it was a day later that I got the job permanently. Oh, that is so. funny. <laughs> So that worked out real well. So anyway, we decided we need to have a beer of the week because there is no Ale Evangelist show anymore because apparently the Scotsman has uh, died. (laughs) I didn't want to be the one to spoil that, but he either died or he got saved. One of the two. Yeah, he's still around, yeah. and he's so he's just further into family say. and and, and yeah. church and yeah. yeah. So he got saved. So anyway, so it's up to Rod now to do the beer of the week. So Rod, so this week, wait, 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 we got to do this. The beer of the week. I gotta get. Duh. I gotta get. I'll get. Uh, I'll get Alex to cut that, and we'll. Okay. Go ahead, Matt. So uh, uh, the beer of the week for this week, and we'll start off with something that I like is uh, stouts. The, the stout flavor. Um, it's the Campfire Stout by High Water Brewing, and so this is one of those beers that they they flavor a little bit. So you've got. Uh, in the theme of a campfire, you've got uh, flavors of like graham crackers, molasses, uh, marshmallow. There's a little bit of sweet flavor to it. It's really, really good. It's really good. It's smooth. Um, not what you'd expect when you drink a beer. It's not like an IPA that's going to be bitter. Mm. Yeah, so. I don't like IPAs either. I'm with you on that one. I know. Yeah. I know. I know. Scotsman used to mock you mercilessly about that. So, he, so he did. Campfire he did. stout. Huh? Where do you get it? Yep. So I know um, Bebmo has it uh, or has had it. I my local store. I got these at my local Rayleigh store. So uh, they're around. Uh, High Water Brewing again. Uh, and if you go to Beer Advocate, it's rating at a what is it? A four point zero five out of five stars. So 
That's pretty good. It's it's fairly up there, but it's a nice if if you like the stout style. And I do. Give it a try. Mm. Yeah. So you like beer? I want a piece of pie. I'm going to get a piece of pie. Forget that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to the binge watch section because we talk this with the lockdown bill. We've been binge watching. So have you been watching anything this week? Is yeah, um, I am getting hooked on Kim's Convenience, and I love it. Yeah, we talked about that last it is week. pretty funny. Because you got me started on that. There's nothing like a Korean Archie Bunker. I'm sorry, that's, <laughs> it's phenomenal. You are not gay. No gay gets sound for you. Yeah, <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> I'm only four or five episodes in because I got real busy with the launch coming up and all. But uh, I can't wait to get back into it because it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great show. I, I got through the first episode of that. I haven't watched any more of it, but it was funny. It's it's worth watching if you haven't seen it. So, Rod, last week you uh, you brought up the upload, and I spent yes. the next day, the next day, <laughs> you did watching the entire thing. And I got to <laughs> tell you, I would have to stop at times because it was kind of creeping me out a little bit. So, Bill, it's a yeah. story about people who die, and they upload their consciousness into a virtual world where uh-huh. they can still communicate via telephone to their loved ones. And it's like they observe the loved ones world. Can they observe? Earth yeah. Or whatever? If, yeah. If, if, if there's a, and, and there are special suits that they can wear, the people back here can wear so that they can experience the joys of physical contact if, as it were with their virtual. Can I get one of those now? <laughs> you don't want a used one. Yeah. You don't want to use one. That's no. for... <laughs> Anyway, I, so here's the thing. I'm not sure if I thought it was great or good or bad, but it was highly addictive. It was. I could not turn it off other than I'd have to pause it every now and then because it would get a little bit intense thinking about how this was working. Yeah. And it basically it's a murder mystery. So that's all I'm it's, it's kind of a parody of sorts too. It's called Upload. And it, it's actually one of the creators of this was a writer, one of the main writers for The Office. And it's on uh, it's on Amazon Prime, if I recall. Yeah, so it is. It's really good. Okay. So for it me this week, Rod, what have you been watching this week? Anything new? So I started watching Space Force because, <laughs> quite honestly, yeah, as a child, as a growing up teenager, if they had a Space Force, I probably would have joined it. <laughs> but not oh. the television show. Oh my god! I don't. I, I can't watch Carell. I can't stand him. Really? You got to be like the only person in America yeah. that can't stand him. I don't know. Anybody who can ruin Get Smart, it, there's something wrong with him. <laughs> well, <laughs> I can't argue with that. Um, <laughs> but then again, I, I think he's funny. I, I didn't, yeah. there's a lot of his movies I didn't care for, like The 40 Year Old Virgin and stuff like that. This is dumb. Yeah. But the ads for that movie. Yeah. Combined with the idea that I never watched The Office because I didn't care about the concept, it was like, okay, I'm done. He's horrible. I don't want to see him in anything. Oh, come on. He was he was absolutely fantastic in Anchorman. Yeah. I killed a guy with a trident. <laughs> I didn't watch the whole movie. Oh, my God, Bill. How can you and, not? Oh. I hate it even more now that I have a Ron Burgundy podcast shoved up my hiney. <laughs> Once a year by my own company. Oh, yeah. no, is it year or weekly? Because that show is bad. I, so, yeah, I agree. So I'm but driving the truck I'm, one night, Rod. And, I'm not the radio wonks who, who think podcasting is the end of the world. And well, it we've is. We've got to put 
put Will Ferrell on, who I only liked in Saturday Night Live. He was good there, but not after. Ugh, I don't know how you can say that about Tropical Thunder. Well, <laughs> so, so I'm driving the truck one night, Rod, and I'm trying to find anything to listen to. And I don't realize that it's Sunday, but I tune into WMMB because, you know, there might be something decent on there. That's Bill's station down in Florida. And okay. it's this... It's this, it's obviously Will Ferrell, but I cannot figure out what the hell this is. And it's terrible. And so I'm texting him, what is this? And he's like, I don't know. And so he goes back, comes back a few minutes later. It's Will Ferrell's podcast, Anchorman podcast. And it was, so I start tuning into other stations around the country. And of course they're all carrying this because that's how commercial radio works. Yeah. It was bad. All right. Me, I've been, uh, in addition to my Korean baseball that I, really love i don't know why i love that bill but i do it's so good cheer squad because it's live. that's why because it's real yeah it's kind of creepy though with no fans yeah kinda weird but the other thing i started watching brockmire this week brockmire is about a radio guy who's, who's a radio broadcaster for baseball who has let's just call it an epic meltdown on the air after he discovers his wife cheating on him during the game, he kind of melts down. And so it's his story of how he works his way back into baseball in the minor leagues. And it is, I don't know how to explain it, but it is freaking funny. Hank Azaria as Brockmeyer. Now, I'm only in season one. I understand in season four, he gets hired by Major League Baseball again. But <clears throat> he hates Jack Buck, which, of course, we all, of course, we all hate Jack Buck. So. <laughs> He actually gets into a fist fight with Jack Buck at one point. Oh, that's And fun. it's great. Plus, it has Amanda Peet in it. Naked. Hello. I'm just saying. Worth the watch. So <laughs> that's what I'm watching. What are you watching out there? DNR at the Dave Bowman Show is our email address. You can get us online. Facebook.com slash do not resuscitate. Anybody got anything else you need to add? I know I told you that's the point where we stop this, but anything nope. else happening? Bill? Get to Florida again. I've got a spare room and would love to see you guys. Come on down. Yeah. Rod, it's a pleasure. Good to get to know you. It is a pleasure to meet you. And, and good to know you. And you guys as well. So take care, everybody, and we we will see you next week for yet another episode. It's June already. 2020 wow. June. How the hell did that happen? No clue. Sniper monkeys are next. <laughs> is it sniper monkeys? Because the giant hornet thing kind of washed out. Yeah, COVID monkeys. With the, with the riot. Oh, the co- monkeys coming up. The COVID monkeys. The COVID monkeys. We had the story. That we didn't get to that, right? The, the monkeys that stole the COVID samples. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> See you next week, everybody. Have a great week.